Welcome, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. Very excited to have you here with us tonight. I'm Kurt Flagel. I am one of two of our hosts, and the other host is mysteriously missing at the moment due to technical issues. So we're starting this show off with a bang tonight. He'll be uh, Chris Wolwin, our, our other host, will be on momentarily. Um, fingers crossed, prayers in the air, that kind of thing. So in the meantime, it's me and our producer, Annie Keith. Hey, Kurt. Hello, Annie. Welcome oh, to Life Hello, everybody. <laughs> so we have, since it's you and me, let's do a few uh, little things. So, uh, first of all, our tonight our show is about our patterns of behavior, and we're going to talk a little bit, def- even define what we mean by patterns of behavior, that kind of thing. But first, before we get to that, since it's you and I. Why don't we talk about the ways that people can connect? People, we want dialogue. We want discussion. We don't want this, definitely don't want this to be a monologue, just me talking, because that gets old really quick, even for me. So we want this to be a dialogue with people. So here's a couple ways that you can not only listen, obviously, if you're listening to this right now live, you're blog talk you're on blogtalkradio.com but if you're on there you can you can look and see there is a couple of options there is a chat to us live on facebook that's a link if you see that you can click on that and you can go on to facebook if you have a facebook account and you can go to our right to our life hurts god heals facebook page and connect with us there ask questions make comments let us know you're out there. That's always encouraging. There's also a phone number, and that is 323-580-5755. You can actually, if you're if you're brave enough to interact with me, because I know I'm scary, I'm really terrifying oh, to talk scary. to, <laughs> you can call in and ask your questions directly and have a conversation with us. It would be great. There's also, uh, you can also email, Correct. And that is Correct. on the right, Annie. What Annie, will you tell us? Since you are the mastermind of that technology, would you give the email address for us? Of course, I can give the email address. For those that don't know how to use email, you open up a browser and go to your email client, and you are able to actually log in to your email and then send us an email by typing in this in the two bar. And it's lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. All one long, big word. Lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's and if awesome. you have questions, you can email us questions even after this because it turns into a podcast. So if you're listening to us non-live, not live, anyways, go with the grammar police on that one. If you do that, then you can always ask us these questions later, and we can get back to you. Do I, do I hear Chris Wolwind? I think yeah, I here Wind. I am. Yay. All right. Well, see, our our informative stalling paid off. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Chris, good welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. So uh, tell us a little bit. 
about yourself. Little snapshot of who Chris Baldwin is as a co-host of Life Hurts God Heals. There's got to be more to you than that. Let's see. I'm five foot ten. I weighed. I weighed myself today, and actually yesterday, and I've lost thirteen pounds. I weigh one hundred and ninety-seven pounds. Wow, that's awesome. Well done. Yeah. Diet? Is there a diet we need to talk about? There's, Are just, we do there's a- just a serious lack of pleasurable sugar in my Annie life. Annie understands that right now. <laughs> I'm sure she does. Very painfully, I understand this right now. <laughs> uh, Annie is 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 withholding herself from one of her favorite things in the whole wide world, and that's candy. I love eating candy. Oh, (laughs) so let's not talk about candy, right? (laughs) Except, did you hear about? Did you hear about the world record for Snickers bar was set about three weeks ago? I think it's um, is it Mars or Hershey's that owns the Snicker bar, and it was like forty eight hundred pounds or some something like that. Well, then, so they had the throne. For the world record Guinness book, but then two weeks later, Mars came out with their uh, a new world record for the Take Five candy bar, and it weighed a little over five thousand pounds. Oh my gosh! So, yeah. So is that so why they had that Super Bowl commercial? Well, I I don't know. I didn't see that commercial. Well, I guess Maybe I'll have I to send you that dirt- Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> Hey, you know, I kind of like this whole thing right here. Uh, maybe we should do an opening segment to to lighten things up, have some useless trivia every time we're on. I, I'm a master of useless trivia. I can't think of one right now, but I I know all kinds of stuff. So maybe we should, like, figure out something every week that we can – because that's really cool, Chris. I like what you said, so maybe we should figure <laughs> this out. Are you saying that's useless? Oh, yeah. I was um, going to say, I'm is. the master of useless information, so. <laughs> so I, li- I like that. And um, as far as useless information goes, let me tell you a little bit about myself. So I get to live in California, San Luis Obispo, which is um, on the Central Coast. We call it slow, so I might drift into that. Married this year. It'll be 27 years, and I had I didn't have to think very hard on that, so I'm really proud of myself, and hopefully that means my wife is too. And uh, we have two daughters, and one of them is going to Cal Poly this year, so I have a college student. I feel really old right now. And, in, and my, my other daughter, my younger daughter, is still in high school, so we're still, uh, we're still in that in that school camp right now, but it's getting close. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it only shifts into other things. Right, Chris? Cause you have six kids. So you could tell me all about that. Yes, yes, yes. And I have filled out a little over 23 FAFSA uh, applications for financial aid. I believe that's correct. Six, three, zero, 18, 19. Yeah. I think I filled out 23 of those. For your kids? For my kids and myself. No, my kids. Well, I have to. I'm the parent, so you have to do it for your kids. But then when I did my master's degree like 10 years ago or 12 or whatever it was, um, I had to do a few for me. Yeah. Kurt does not know this. 
because (laughs) we filled it out for Mackenzie. (laughs) When you say we, can you clarify that, our producer, Annie? (laughs) Myself and Sherry, your wife, filled it out for Mackenzie, your daughter. Yeah, I don't know. I, I she filled out my FAFSA when I was in school too. So, so my, they are a she, pain in the behind. But but the cool thing is is that you can copy old information from the previous year into the next year. So that that mm-hmm. helps. But it's still kind of it's still messy. So okay, well, I'm glad I didn't have to do. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> wherever you are right now. So tonight we're talking about our patterns of behavior. And I would say one of the things that, one of the words that we often refer to this would be addictions, but I, I, I don't, I don't particularly, this is, and I'm about to give an opinion here, but I don't particularly like that word, Chris, because it, I think one, it comes with a lot of stigma in our society and um, when really everybody has these things, then the, the stigma applies to certain kinds of addiction. So that's what we automatically go to. And so to me, the second problem with the idea of the word addictions is it narrows things down way too, way too much. So the idea of patterns of behavior, we all have them. And it's a much broader terminology and a much broader, uh, I think, just definition for for what we're talking about tonight what 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 do you think about that when you think of patterns of behavior what i just said and also just the phrase what what do you think of chris well yeah cuz i when you first went to addictions i thought well that's a topic all by itself yes um and yes it is a pattern of behavior but at the same time um at least from a believer's standpoint we all have certain we we could even call addictions weaknesses and and it it's clear from the scriptures that uh well satan knows our weaknesses you know mm. and um and knows how to take advantage of those things but to get more to, as, as i was thinking about this uh today i w- i was kind of recognizing that Yes, we all have addictions. Some are public and socially shamed, and others are others have addictions that are hidden uh, from others and yet create a lot of misery for the individual. But um, there's something else, and that is because we are all unique and different, even though we are made in the image of God, then, then we each have a certain, uh, a certain pattern of behavior. In other words, my pattern of behavior, even if I got someone who was pretty close to my pattern of behavior, it wouldn't be exact because mm-hmm. we all had different backgrounds and, and environments and family of origin uh, contributions, as well as, you know, the big thing over the last 30 or 40 years was looking at personality profiles, you know, and yes. and recognizing the uniqueness of each person that way. And so uh, the, the idea of patterns of behavior, there are patterns, but they are unique to each individual to a certain extent or a certain degree. What do you think about that? 
it's interesting. I, I'm, you know, as I was talking or thinking through the idea of patterns of behavior, I was going more to the negative side, like the things that, the things we do when we want to feel safe that we don't even, or feel comfort, you know, we want to be comforted. We want to feel safe. We want, we want to feel loved maybe. And there's, you know, those kind of things that we do in order to obtain those things outside Mm. of our relationship with God. And, and when you mention, you know, personality, profiles and things like that, I was planning on talking about one in particular that could help us identify those things tonight. So we're going to go there. But uh, first, I want to say you have opened it up in a more, in a more broad, even broader sense than I was thinking. And, Mm. and you, you talked even about some positive that there could be like my sense is what you're saying is there's positive and negative patterns of behavior. So if I'm right, if that's where you were, you were addressing what you were addressing, would you, would you give, first of all, tell me if I'm right. Second of all, if so, give us some examples of, and uh, of what you think might be some positive patterns of behavior and some negative patterns of behavior, mm-hmm. maybe uh-huh. even, even some of your own, you know, obviously maybe that's a good place to start. Obviously we know ourselves. We know, well, that's the point. Do we know ourselves? Do right. we know our patterns of behavior? So um, having known you for a while, Chris, I know you know some, so would you mind sharing in any, I'm going to, pull you into this conversation of some for examples of patterns of behavior, positive and negative too. Well, so be thinking about that. Chris, what, what do you think? First, do you agree with me that what I was saying was correct, that you were, you were going at a broader sense of the term? Yes. Yeah, definitely a broader sense. And I'm glad you brought in the idea of positive patterns or what I might call strengths, hmm. you know, to our personalities or, Um, Yeah, something like that, Um, in contrast to negatives. Um, So positive positive behavior patterns um, might be along the lines of, uh, particularly in relationship with others, uh, you know, caring or uh, observant of of the needs of others, aware. um, um, uh, responsible, uh, f- not responsible for others, but responsible in terms of yourself. Um, not ca- you know, not casting uh, blame uh, for things that you've done. You know, the, there's that side of things. One of the things that registered uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, Kurt, was, and I think we've talked about this. Uh, you've noticed that with every strength, there's a weakness. Or uh, right, our greatest uh, strengths are our yeah. greatest weaknesses. That's something yeah. I say quite often. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of odd, isn't it? And and kind of regretful at times uh, because we are broken people. We don't often think that we have weaknesses, except a weakness for candy. <laughs> you know, those well, kinds of you, things. Annie. But see, if if 
if candy's a weakness, what is your strength? Uh, <laughs> would we say would we say without candy is your strength? You see, uh, and that's that's kind of a false parallel. And mm. so it's kind of like you know when we talk about uh, you know what's that saying about uh, one person's weed is another person's flower. <laughs> you know. Now, when you say weed, I don't think you were talking about the one that popped in my head, though. Oh yeah, see, no. no. You are Although... so full of cliches tonight, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but in other words, um, well, like I'll just I'll just go personal here a little bit. Um. There are strengths that other people have that I wish I had. Mm. And so in me wishing I had their strength, I'm thinking, oh, this is a weakness in me. Mm. But trying to discern, okay, is this just a weakness or is this just part of a personality profile where somebody who has put somebody or I have gotten a message that this is a weakness when in fact it isn't a weakness. You see what I'm saying? So you have you have strengths and weaknesses that aren't considered corruptive to the person and then there are strengths and weaknesses that are corruptive to the person or to others. Does that make sense? Um, so like someone's a strong leader. Let's say they are a strong leader. But being a strong leader may necessitate that they 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 don't listen to every what every person in a thousand person room says. In other words, a, a leader may have to disappoint a few people in order to move the entire group into a certain direction. Okay, so the leadership is. That's still a positive thing, and the people who are in disagreement or, or, you know, struggling with that because they feel like they're not being heard, that might be a negative. But on the other hand, if everybody is heard, then you have a lot of chiefs and no followers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's... So, so it's a little does... difficult. Thing. Where does that fall into – when you just talked about in the framework that you were setting up, you talked about corruptive and non-corruptive. Yeah. And so where does that sense of a strength that works to move people forward, yet people, some people see it as a weakness and disagree with it? In the frame, you gave that as an example and right after you like you you were setting up this framework of corruptive a, a we, mm -hmm. you know a, a pattern of behavior that could be corruptive or non-corruptive so how does that fit in that um, well let me lay let me lay down a foundation of this and that is it is so easy in our society i think to say that if I have a weakness, that needs to be made strong. Okay. And I'm suggesting that the weakness may not be a weakness. It may simply be an aspect of our personality 
that makes us unique. Hmm. In other words, if I have a strength as a leader, that does not mean that that everybody in the world should have my strength. If I have a strength that has nothing to do with leadership, let's say I am a support personnel or I'm supportive of others or I work behind the scenes and that's my strength, that is not to suggest that everybody should work behind the scenes. Um, but in our society, leadership is praised. Uh, people who don't have leadership tend to not be praised. And I'm suggesting that, the, that not having leadership does, is, should not be correlated to a weakness just a difference of the person, the uniqueness of the person. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying on that, and I agree with that. There, everyone has. So we're talking in this case. If it feels like we're talking about people's abilities and yes. what they contribute, and and I. And I and I totally agree with what you're saying there. However, I'm a little lost as what that has to do with our patterns of behavior. Um, and I'm not sure like my patterns of thinking, my patterns of feeling, and and you know, and my patterns of behavior, how how what those things play into positive right. and negative. Do you think, Kurt, that maybe your the way your purview of patterns of behavior is coming from an emotional perspective, whereas I'm looking at it a pattern of behavior, which I agree there are patterns of behavior that are sourced around feelings. How um, um, And maybe I'm thinking it's both. I'm okay. thinking that I'm thinking that, in other words, a pattern of behavior like let's say somebody is praised for their strength since childhood, then that's going to create in them a desire to have that praise, perhaps more and more. They get encouragement by moving in that direction, which then creates a pattern of behavior. Uh, because of a particular strength they have. If someone is criticized as a child in school or bullied because of maybe they can't run as fast as someone else or they're always chosen last, do you think that would create a certain pattern of behavior in that child? Yes. Um, yes. And and that's okay. exactly what I that's, – that right there, that illustration that you just gave – is the is perfect a perfect illustration of what where I'm going with this. See, and I the think thing. it unites both, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see that that uh, the weakness, the perceived weakness? See, that's the thing. The child who 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 can't run as fast as everyone else, they are criticized for being weak, but the reality is, they can't run fast. That's, mm -hmm. that's the reality. That's not a weakness. 
that's just about a recognition that they have a strength somewhere else. Right. But by the focus on the weakness as a weakness suddenly creates what I think can be a very corruptive pattern of behavior in the person. Okay, now I'm tracking with you. Okay, that's the, where I'm going. Okay, that now that's clear. So what I want just to reiterate to make sure I'm hearing you, we're talking about the idea of things that happened in our lives, positive and negative, mm-hmm. influence our patterns of behavior now in ways we may not even think about or realize, both yes. positive and negative. I agree. Yeah, you're right on. Okay. All right. So name one, positive or negative, in yourself, Chris, that you do that maybe you don't even think about the reasons why that's a pattern. Or any, whoever can. Um, hmm. Well, I have so many. It's just trying to decide which, <laughs> which, which one. Because I'm working on several in my life, and the ones that I, the ones that I'm working on my life, I have determined are corruptive to me and to others. Hmm. But or corruptive to the relationships, or corruptive to my relationship with God. But I could be wrong, because this is just, if someone were to actually look at what I'm working on, they would go, what are you talking about? That's, you know, that's not corruptive. We're glad about that. And I'm going, yeah, but. So, like, um a behavior I'm working on is not assuming I'm right. Now, it falls under the big category of pride or whatever. But actually, I'm I'm really digging into my own character and my own decision-making and my own thought processes and trying to embrace the fact that, you know, deep down... I am a sinner, and deep down, I am broken, and deep down, I don't, I don't know me and, as well as I think I do, and I don't know God as well as I think I do, and I don't know others as well as I think I do. And so I'm, I'm broaching those things. Um, but the strength that's coming out of this is that I am increasingly relying on the on God's truth to determine in my life um, if my thinking is is okay or not mm-hmm. you see rather than relying on Chris's DNA or Chris's experience or Chris's age common sense or whatever we want to call that it's not so common I'm just I'm I'm realizing that all of that stuff is is it might be acceptable if I were not interested in growing closer to the Lord but in order to grow closer to the Lord I actually have to cast off 
some of these assumptions about myself. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to, speaking of assumptions, if you're okay with it, I'm, I'm going to poke a little bit at a couple of things you said. And but make sure you're going to be talking about you too, right? Yes, I am. Okay. I am. You, so right. you can poke at me pretty soon, definitely. Um, but there, there are there are a couple things that you said, and we're and I know we're getting close to a, a, a commercial break, right, Annie? We're getting close to that. But uh, so I, we got a couple minutes, and so this may like need to wait after we're going to throw it out there and see what where it goes. There are a couple things you said, Chris. You talked about not making assumptions, and you said I know that deep down I'm a sinner. And then you said that you're learning to um, to seek God for what he says about you. And a lot of the times our patterns of behavior, I would say our patterns of behavior are, are wrapped up in our identity, how we see ourselves. That's really core yeah. to this yes. thing, how we see God, how we see ourselves. So respectfully, I challenge that that notion that deep down that you're a sinner um, and that that's, that's a, that's a problem statement from, from my perspective, again, respectfully, because every, if you are, a, if you are in Christ, as Paul would say that in, in, you know, that you are a new creation in Christ, the old is gone. I agree with that. Yes. The new has come deep yeah. down. Deep down at the core of who you are and who I am, from my understanding of Scripture, is at this point, I am not a sinner deep down. I am deep down. I have the Holy Spirit living at the core of who I am, reigniting right. my right. the image of God in me. And in fact, when Paul writes to the letters to the, the believers in every city, ancient city, like Romans and Ephesians, we, he doesn't say sure. to the sinners; he says to the saints. Right. And well, so let me clarify that. Okay. Let me clarify that a little bit, and then I'm okay. going to poke at you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to both walk away with like you know the three stooges where they oh. have to put the hand up in front of their face to protect themselves. Yes. No, I. It may not have been clear. I. I fully believe I am a new creation in Christ. The old is past and the new has come. But I also acknowledge Paul's concerns in Romans chapter 7 that there is indeed a conflict of natures within him. You know, the things that he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing, and the things that he doesn't want uh, or does want to do, he finds himself not doing, and what is going on and he talks about this conflict. And all I'm, ask, all I'm asking myself is, from my, from my perspective as a new creation in Christ, I don't want to fall back into the old nature. I mean, that's actually one of the concerns throughout the New Testament is to guard what we have. Yes. Don't go back into the patterns of the world. You know, yes. Romans, Romans 8, uh, do not, you know, conform yourself to the world, but be transformed, which is a continuing 
a continuing process. By the, and by, by the what, though? I want to stop you there. To, to be By the renewing to, of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. Right, okay. Right. I so, want to make that clear because that's right. important, I think, in this conversation. So let me, let me poke at you a little bit. Now that you are a new creation in Christ, do you remember how you did things, thought through things, made decisions? Do you remember old behaviors and attitudes uh, when you were that old, Kurt? Not the new creation, but the old. Do you remember those? You yeah, remember what that gonna, was like? I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to have you hold that question. I'm going to answer it. I'm delaying. See, I'm delaying the execution right now on that, of that question and to uh, go to our announcements. So this okay. is a cliffhanger. This is a cliffhanger. <laughs> We're going to hold it there. So remember or a that cliffhanger, either one. <laughs> a Kurt hanger. <laughs> I'm really going with Kurt hanger on this one. <laughs> Well, I'll take over from here, guys. I will take over. I just want to thank the Link Local Network for allowing us to be on the airwaves with you today. And you can go and see more and hear more about all of our different broadcasts that we have at linkedlocalnetwork.com. One of the upcoming broadcasts we have are STEM for Kids. Um, they're doing a interview with, for, uh, let's see, it's with the, Franchise Women co-host Fred McMurray, as well as Ray Pillar. And that will be Thursday at 2 p.m. And that's California time, so Pacific Standard Time. We also have on Sundays the Road to Recovery. And this week they're going to be talking about the choices. Are you making good decisions? And how does that affect your sobriety? That's what we have coming up, guys. And we just want to remind people as well that Life Hurts, God Heals is on blogtalkradio.com, which you're listening to. But if that, you look at that page, there is a way for you to chat with us live on Facebook. There's a link right on that page, blogtalkradio.com. And there's also an email there, which I will give it to you anyway if you're, if you're not looking at the screen. is Life Hurts, God Heals. 2020 at gmail.com and there's also a phone number 323-580-5755 we would love for you to jump into the this uh this brawl between chris and i this bloody <laughs> brawl. exciting brawl golly uh, <laughs> love for your your comments this it's heating up it's interesting so please feel free to ask questions Put them on the Facebook page or even live. We would love for you to, to jump into this. Okay, Chris, back to the question. Yes. Give it to me one more time. Okay. So do I have to come up with a question? Okay. Well, the uh, question no, the... was something <laughs> – do you remember? Or I think I remember. So I know what we were talking about. So, so uh I was presenting a perspective of of me being a, a broken sinner, and you were talking about being a new creation in Christ. And yeah. I responded with, I agree that we are new creations in Christ. And then I 
I wanted to poke at you and ask you, do you remember what your patterns of behavior were before you were a new creation in Christ? And you said? Yes, I do remember my patterns of behavior. I I remember the things that I did. In fact, for me, uh, when I was younger, the big the big one for me was uh, sex was a huge deal. My pattern of behavior in regards to uh, to getting my needs met, feeling feeling powerful, feeling also loved, had a lot to do with with sex, and that pattern has changed, obviously. Um, growing in, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I, because uh, (laughs) there's plenty of people who hopefully are listening who don't know me, but that pattern definitely has changed. Mm -hmm. However, the point I'm making, Chris, in that pattern of behavior changing is because my identity this is the is core, and I said this identity is core to our patterns of behavior. Knowing my, who I am yeah. has shaped my patterns of behavior and changed them. Knowing what I didn't know when I was younger and looking for love in all the wrong places. If you're old like me, you remember that song. I just referenced a really old song. If looking for love in all the wrong places was because I didn't know my identity as God's dearly beloved child, a loved child of God. And what I, and that's the point I'm making is even now do like what you referenced with Paul, he, he was talking about this wrestling match between patterns Mm -hmm. and that wrestling match that continues at some level in all of us I believe is there because there are still areas of our life that we don't hold to or believe the identity that God has given us still. I agree with that. And I that, agree with that. And yeah. that even when you quoted Romans chapter 12 and Paul the the Holy Spirit speaking through the apostle Paul when he wrote do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And why I had you continue on with that, I encourage that with, uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind right. is because my patterns of behavior are affected by my view of God's identity and my identity. And when my patterns of behavior go off the rails on a crazy train, Another reference to a song. Uh, that's because I am. I've taken my focus off of the reality of God's identity as perfect love, and my identity as perfectly loved. So if I, so that's why it's so critical to me that I do not call myself a sinner. I still have behaviors of sin, absolutely, because in some areas I'm still not buying in to the fact that God loves me completely and I am completely forgiven of my sins. The more I believe that, the more I understand I'm clean and I am a clean child of God, no longer a sinner, the less I walk in those patterns. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. Um, and it's probably helpful for you to to have that perspective. In other words, to operate from... 
the perspective that you are a child of God. I'm operating from the perspective that I'm a child of God, but for for my either my personality or my profile or whatever, I don't. I have to be. I I have to be critical of my brokenness. My my that sinful nature, the idea that I am not perfect, okay? I, I have to take that perspective. Otherwise, my personality, as I mentioned earlier, I have this idea that uh, um, I don't really have a problem with my, with my perspective. That is, uh, Chris is right, <laughs> you know? And, and so... Where I have come over the many years in my life is is kind of I've changed uh, I've had a paradigm shift so to speak, and I am in my life now looking more critically at the old creation, so that I can say I don't want to do things the way I used to do. Even as a as a new believer, a new creation in Christ. Uh, there, there are still those transforming things that needed to be transformed, and I am having uh, a greater success um, in 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 uh, transformation by actually reevaluating some of my assumed perspectives of my of my Christian walk. In other words, how I made decisions in ministry. Um, attitudes and behaviors I had, I do not have those now. I have transformed. Um, but how I got there was actually through my wilderness of my life, looking yeah. backward and going, I, I needed to reassess my life and my person and even my Christian, how I walked as a Christian. So I, I I do understand and I actually approve of the way that you are growing <laughs> in your life, Kurt. Um, but for me and perhaps my personality style, it doesn't work that way for me very well. I know that I'm a child of God and I feel like I'm wa- I'm walking as a child of God, but um, um, I'm not beating myself up. Although Paul does talk about beating ourselves up a little bit, uh, but I, I think I'm actually beating myself up less because now that I have assessed my past in a very critical way, I have begun to move into areas of forgive, forgiveness. In other words, I've been able to actually let go of uh, old ideas of what it meant to be a believer, and I've actually come into new ways of what it means to be a believer and I I actually feel like I'm I'm I feel a relationship as a child more so than I ever did the previous 25 years in ministry I had and and that I agree with just everything you said I, I agree with yeah that childlike behavior as a child of God in that identity what you were just mm-hmm. speaking of mm-hmm 
Chris, that is so critical to it. And Jesus said these words, right? And as he was talking to, you know, in this famous speech that he gave her sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, right? That this, right. Uh, the, he, he, the first words as he sat down to teach this huge crowd that had gathered before him, he sits down to teach, which was right the uh, the way that the rabbinic the rabbis would teach. They would sit down. If I'm if I'm correct in that, and at the first words out of his mouth are, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, mm-hmm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Before he goes any further, he lays a foundation for the whole rest of what he's about to say. And the first words are, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." And what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, about that child, like not making assumptions, not thinking I know that I that I have things right. That's the identity of a child. That's the re, the transforming of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. The, the transform transformation of the renewing of the mind to go, I am God's beloved child. And that doesn't give me license. That actually puts me in a place of deep dependency on God. And mm-hmm. again, that identity, to understand that that's my identity. I'm not a sinner anymore, I am a child of God, and the more I hold to that, that means I don't know. I I'm very poor. I don't I don't have much as a child. That means I don't have the future. I'm so poor in my in my childlike nature. I don't have anything except for what the Father gives me, the Heavenly right. Father gives me, which means I don't know anything unless he gives it to me and it means i can't like the worry that you have of making you know assumptions about things and making determinations in ourselves that is the very opposite of living out of our identity as a child of god and so the for me the understanding of walking as a beloved child of god means walking in poverty of spirit i have no and here's what i'm i'm so poor I don't have a reputation to defend anymore. If I'm, if I recognize that in my identity, that changes my behaviors, my patterns of behavior. When people attack me, when people criticize me, if I have no reputation to defend because I'm a kid and my father and just a kid that doesn't know much that all I have is what the father has, that really changes the way I react to people's attacks personal. I have no reputation to defend. I'm so poor. I don't have a reputation anymore. Uh-huh. I, that means I don't have time. I don't, other than this present moment with you and Annie in this, in this moment, I, I have no guarantee of 10 minutes from now. Like we've had tef- technical difficulties tonight, right? I could literally be off the air. A meteor could come through the roof of where I'm at and kill me, you know, right now. Like I don't, I'm not guaranteed anything beyond this moment. So again, poverty of spirit as a child, I don't even have the future. I don't have the past anymore. I can't change the past. It's gone. But what I do have is this moment um, to allow God to do what he wants. That's the kind of identity and the understanding of that identity that changes the way I, I act. If I know mm-hmm. that if I don't have the future, that means I can't control the future. And a lot of what I find in my own patterns, my patterns are of behavior come from those things. I'm grasping for things that aren't mine to grasp for. 
I'm grasping, I'm worried about the future, and I'm trying to control how things are going to go. I'm trying to control how people, well, I'm making determinations. If I do this, will other people do that? And those things are, I'm so poor, I have no control over those things. And when I do try to control them, that's when worry comes in. That's when anxiety comes in. When I try to control things that are not mine to control, that's when anxiety and worry enter into the whole equation. And when I understand my identity and I live out of my identity, my patterns change. My patterns change to humility and dependency as a child of God. When I think I'm a sinner, then when I have that mindset that I'm still a sinner, then I'm going to, from that mindset, I'm going to live out certain patterns as well. I'm going to, then I'm, I'm not, I mean, the idea of sinner is that I'm still, I'm still um, controlled and enslaved by sin. A sinner is one, I mean, very clearly mm-hmm. in scripture, a sinner is enslaved. There was two mm-hmm. kinds of people. There are, the, there are the redeemed and the sinner. The sinner is still controlled by um, sin. And this is where even Galatians, Paul makes a clear uh, difference between those ruled by the sinful nature, the sinners, and those who are ruled by the spirit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Again, that identity, if I think I'm still a sinner, I'm going to still think I'm ruled by the sinful nature. Right. And I'm not. I'm ruled by. The, I'm. I'm. I'm a child of God, ruled by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> um, I think we all get to the same place, Kurt. Do you remember, like a few shows ago, when we talked about our the differences in in your journey from, you know, your childhood and my journey from my childhood. Do you remember yes. we talked about that? Yes, coming from opposite ends. Opposite ends. And I think this actually plays into this because <laughs> we are all, from your end and from my end, we are both getting to the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. <laughs> um, the poor in spirit. Because like, I, I distinctly remember that when I gave my life to the Lord, it was at a youth conference in Hawaii, and um, I came forward, and when I came forward, I didn't come forward out of brokenness. I didn't Hmm. come forward out of a recognition that I'm a mess and that I needed a savior. I came forward because it made sense. The message of there is a God and he's the Lord of the universe and I'm not, that made sense. And I wanted, to, I wanted my life to be led by him. So there was very little emotion when I came for, when I, when I gave my life, I came forward to the, to, and you know, the, there were kids on either side of me crying and, and broken, and I kept thinking to myself, gosh, should I be crying about something? <laughs> okay. So when I entered the kingdom, I recognized that, yes, I'm a child. I'm no longer in charge of my life. He's, he's the boss of my life. 
but remember, my childhood was one where I got lots of encouragement of I can do whatever I put my heart to. I, you know, whatever I decide to do, you can do that, Chris. You can do that. And I had all kinds of encouragement to do that, which was not the encouragement you had as a child. Right. Um, and so here's how I get to the Beatitudes. So most of my ministry, I'm, I recognize leadership skills in my life. I'm encouraged by mentors in my life to be a strong leader in, in ministry and in pastoring and in counseling and all of those things, equipping myself to do the work of ministry. But then my life falls apart. And we've talked about that in an earlier broadcast, um, where it seems that ministry is 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 my 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 hopes and my goals. All those things were cracking. Uh, my family was cracking apart. My marriage was cracking apart. Everything was cracking apart. And over the course of the last ten years, I have now reached this place where it's like I've been born again, born again. Because I, I now recognize a difference of how I how I was as a child of God, and now I feel like I'm an infant in the kingdom of God. Um, I think before I behaved like a teenager <laughs> with God, and God has actually put me back into one and two year old status. And now I am uh, I'm moving through the scriptures and 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 reflecting on my relationship with God from a very different perspective. And it's mm -hmm. the perspective of brokenness. Okay? Now in both places I had my identity in Christ. I gave my life to God. Okay? And um and my perspective was being loyal to God and standing up for righteousness and purifying myself, you know, to, uh, to make sure that I'm, I'm guarding my life in Christ. Well, now I have a far more dependent relationship with God yeah. than I did previously. So do you see what I'm saying? I think, mm -hmm. I think we're landing at the same place, oh, yeah. but how we're, how we're getting there. Um, is two different ways, and my way is not to condemn your path, and your path is not to condemn my path. I just want us to be aware, and particularly for our audience, everybody's journey to this, to this poor in spirit, uh, toward the the beatitudes, the the qualities and natures, and and nature of people who belong to God and His family. Uh, the journey there, I think, is different. Um, there are similar patterns, but but we get there in different ways. I think that's just that's my perspective on that. Oh, I definitely agree. Everybody has a different story. Revel Revelation, I believe it's chapter twelve, tells us right that there are three ways that the enemy of our souls is defeated. First of all, the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. And second of all, the testimony of the saints. The testimony, the story, each one of us has our own unique, like what you just saying, Chris. Every one of us has our own unique story of how 
God is bringing us to maturity, how God is leading us from through our brokenness. And I would, and and so our story, like you and I have different stories. There are very similar things. I would say exactly the same thing you said in many, many ways. Um, the brokenness, the accepting this season of my life, I have I acknowledge greater brokenness. Right. And in right. this season of my life, like I have not experienced in a long, long time. I have gone through cancer and had a ten inch. Uh, have a 10 inch scar on my leg where a huge tumor was taken out of my right leg, liposarcoma. I, I, right now I'm struggling with a, a uh, neurological disease that if God doesn't heal me will destroy all of my muscles, weaken me to the point I'm in a wheelchair, my, muscles in my legs, muscles in my arms and, and, and hands in my throat. And there's mm-hmm. a very there's a danger there that I have to be careful when I'm eating now, and so there's all I can fall downstairs very easily. All these things there's a there's a lot of brokenness in the midst of our church community and in my family. There's so many struggles going on that um, I am more aware of of the areas of brokenness in me. Um, very similar, like where you are. I got here from a different place. I came from brokenness, but I am more in tune now and accepting of my brokenness yeah. um, these days than ever before. And it is because I'm solid in the the idea of my identity. I and I ha- I had cancer, but you know that there's a difference. These are the things, right? Our behaviors, our patterns of behavior, come out of our view of our identity. It's, it's that's simply the way I see it, through mm-hmm. scripture and and right, through right. my experiences. And so, what it's very easy to say without even thinking about it is, "I'm sick. I have this neurological disease," and I could say, "I'm sick," but those words right there, I'm I'm. I'm allowing my, I'm identifying with my sickness. I'm allowing it to define me. And that creates a pattern of behavior. So what you're saying and what I agree with is I am more aware of my brokenness. I'm more aware of the places in me that I need to invite God into. And I a hundred percent agree with you. And we are very much, even though we come from different places, you and I are walking a very similar path. And I, and I love you, and I love to walk and talk with you through these things. And even when we, we seemingly like there's areas of disagreement, there, there is, uh, there's everything that you're talking about I'm resonating with. Uh-huh. Um, so here, here's based on what you just said, which caused me to say all that stuff. Um, <laughs> what, what um, one of the thing, the questions that, that. I want to talk about, well, topics I want to talk about, and you mentioned it way back at the beginning of the, of the show, of our podcast, was the idea of personality types. Hmm. And I want to bring up one to talk about here after we go to our, our announcements and our commercials that Annie is going to, uh, to do in a moment. But I want to talk about when we come back, a way for us to identify our, our patterns of behavior and motives 
for why we do, the motives behind our patterns of behavior. You you talked a lot about that in the beginning of the show. Here's a question: Is how do we how are we able to discern and analyze and understand the 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 motives with what what we're doing, not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And so I want to talk about the Enneagram as a really helpful tool in that regard. As soon as we get back from Annie, and it's all you. You know, it's really funny that you said one, because guess what? I'm a one. I know. Everybody is shocked by this. We're gonna, um, I, want to, I actually want you to talk about that when we get back. So we'll talk about some of our personality stuff. Okay. So I just want everybody to know that we have some lovely shows coming up this coming week. We have the Road to Recovery on Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. We have Pillars of Franchising at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday. And we also want to thank the Linked Local Network for being a part of this, as well as Elevate Church, which Kurt is our pastor of that, and the Atascadero, I know the end of this. Christian Home. Christian, Christian home. Community. Christian Community, Christian community. Actually. Ah, yeah. I'm so That's close, okay. guys. ACC. I'm a really right. bad person at this. <laughs> oh, it's not your identity. You're going to get a lecture from uh, Kurt there. <laughs> uh, I already did. <laughs> I already told her she, that's not her identity. <laughs> <laughs> I am not perfect, people. I am not perfect. <laughs> it's good for you to acknowledge that. Are you a sinner? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely uh, is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kurt, you're gonna have to work on us, huh? <laughs> I I wanna I wanna go back to the the commercial one more time and just say this. If uh if you haven't done it yet, we would love for you just even say hi that you're out there. Uh you can go to uh blogtalkradio.com and you can click on there's a link there to uh to go to talk to us chat with us live on our facebook page and i would love for you to to do that and if while you're there and even if you're listening to this as a podcast a, a pre-recorded podcast which it will be shortly you could go to our facebook page and please like it and you will get posts and uh, follow us there as well, so that you can. Um, we we I do a few I do blogs that I link to that page, so there are things that you can get, and you can also get, um, get announcements about the next show and what it's about. And the Chris, who's also doing blogs when he when he's fully uh-huh. active in Facebook again, may just link <laughs> his blogs to yeah. our Facebook page as well. Oh, you're cute. Okay. I, Actually, well, I do. I do have a blog, and it's called um, uh, SpillingOut.org. So, if you want to check that out, I haven't posted. I mean, I haven't linked it to anything yet because I haven't gotten around to it. But it, but it, it's a, it's there, and it's current. SpillingOut.org. Anyway. Well, I'm, 
I haven't checked it out. I have to be honest. Now I'm excited. Now that you've given that, I'm going to go check it out as well. So back to one of the, this is just one, there's many tools and, and Chris, if you can think of other tools that will be, that have been helpful for you before we get into the Enneagram, maybe we should start there. Uh, We're going to, we'll, we'll do some diving into that in a moment, but maybe you have some other tools that have helped you be aware of your patterns of behavior, both positive and negative. You've shared, you've articulated some of those. What's helped you? Is there anything in particular that you can maybe uh, suggest to other people? You know, again, we're on our, you know, our different journeys, but maybe there's helpful tools that you can talk about before we jump into the Enneagram that have helped you. Um, well, you're not going to like this answer. <laughs> <laughs> But, but let me let me say that uh, uh, when you guys do talk about uh, the Enneagram, uh, ex- uh, before you do that, explain what it is, and maybe you can explain where someone can reference it, yes. okay? Because uh, not everyone in our audience, particularly the older generation, may not be f- – the only reason I'm familiar with it is my kids have gotten me familiar with it. Yes. But um, – but the philosophical part of me, and this, I do this all the time, I always ask myself, I wonder how the first and second and third century Christians lived without a personality profile. Um, you know, how, 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 did, how, did their, how did these believers through the first thousand years live without the tools that we have? And the answer that I've, come up with is is that in their particular culture they didn't need them Mm. i'm not sure that in those uh early centuries um that their society was i mean it certainly was as evil and wicked you know and corrupt i mean you know those things never change but uh, the society we live in is a very confused one. Um, I mean, we deal with so many complexities in our particular culture that I think, you know, beginning in the, I, I think there may have been earlier profiles, but the earliest profile I'm aware of was back in the early 70s, um, where you had, you know, they compared people to animal personalities. You know, are you a lion? You know, are you <laughs> a horse? Are you, you know, that kind of thing? And then, and then, uh, there just been a lot of developments, seventies, eighties, nineties, and and currently. And it's interesting. The ones in the seventies only really broke your personality into like four categories. And then in the 2000s, they're into 16 categories, and and <laughs> you know, and then each category has a multitude of of its own complexities. And I thought this is probably why, as believers, it it would be helpful um, to actually use some of these tools because we have so many voices shouting at us demanding from us, expecting certain kinds of behaviors from us um, that I think trying to develop a singular relationship with God 
is incredibly difficult. Um, so if I were to say a tool that has helped me, I don't know that I can name one right now. Well, okay. What, what are the and what, I don't mean a tool necessarily like a personality profile or anything like that. I'm just things that I'm talking about you talking like you've shared with us how you've you've come to this place in your life where you're recognizing you're recognizing your patterns of behavior more and more. You're recognizing the motives underneath that. Yeah. Can you can you give us some? I know that it's it's taken you through, the, to get here has been quite a journey. You've you've talked about that, but are there some things that help remind you or help you uh, help you understand your motives, whether proactively, like that you take time to pray and meditate mm-hmm. and ask mm-hmm. God to mm-hmm. to do that, or reactively in the day. I, I'm just I'm looking. Will you will you let yeah. us into the practical side of what helps you identify your patterns and the motives behind that? Okay, I definitely have different patterns than I did before my wilderness. Um, The wilderness was critical for me, um, getting through all all the brokenness, because I didn't have anybody that I could talk to or go to uh, except God. Hmm. So, So new patterns began to emerge out of that, and you mentioned one of them, and that was just time really giving time to God. Not necessarily me talking to God all the time, but actually learning how to meditate. Um, I thought I knew. And I thought a lot of it was kind of like, because I was a music pastor, I thought a lot of it was like singing songs to him or thinking about him that way. But actually, the 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 meditation of silence and and actually learning to quiet my soul and my spirit so that God actually might speak thoughts to me um, concerning my life, concerning where I've been. And that has been the most amazing. I could talk many hours about this. That has been the most amazing thing is, is I never realized the importance of quietness um even even quietness in a downtown LA street you know or uh when i was working in LA and living out of a vehicle and so i would do these walks and in the in the hustle and bustle of freeway noise and and people and crowds i was in a place of quietness where i i could actually hear god speak and it, and it meant that i that i not talk to him it meant that I don't have necessarily a particular scripture focus or a verse that I'm focusing on. It just meant quietness and and saying, Lord, I'm waiting for you to speak. And then just waiting and walking. And uh, boy, that took that took a lot of practice. That's all I can say. That took a lot of practice. And now this is this is a regular part of my life now. So when you when you talk about practice 
what helps you I think this is important to to take a few moments more and talk about because this is I, I think what you just said is so critical, Chris. The idea of when we think about prayer, a lot of the times, and at least for me, from my perspective, my you know my limited perspective is all I have. But I think of prayer a lot about talking to God, mm-hmm. and the idea. Of, of being quiet before God is a, I think from my own experience is a foreign concept. It really is. Yes. To a lot of people. When we say prayer, there are people, you know, that word means a lot of different things. So it, it, uh, not a lot of people think about quieting themselves just to listen. So yeah. you, you said you, t- you've taken, You've taken a. It's taken you a long time in the in the practice. What What are some of the things that help you? Because you know when I when I start to get quiet, what rushes in is a lot of negativity, and condemnation, mm-hmm. and judge judging thoughts. I start thinking about all the things I've done wrong. Right. Whenever I get quiet, and that can be terrifying for people because there is that layer. So would yeah. you mind walking us through like even breathing or whatever helps you? Yeah. When you start, what is quiet? How do you get quiet? Um, well, I, I, I just first want to acknowledge this is my unique perspective. Just to, to reiterate that we are all getting to the same place, but on different paths. And so, uh, one of, one of the very first struggles, and it was a long struggle was contrasting the difference between being with God in quietness and being with myself. Mm. Um, I thought that if, okay, that if I could just get away and be by myself on a, on a mountain or in a forest or at the beach, um, or just be with me that I was being with God. And that's not the same. Because I found myself being flooded like with all those thoughts that you said, you know. Uh, all the negative things begin to pop in. All the failures and all the uh, should-haves, would-haves, could-haves. All those things began to pop in. And, and I realized, no, this is not time with God. This is just time with me. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to sharpen my uh, my inward focus and go go deeper than me. I had to I had to leave me behind and go deeper than me, um, which which I think meant that I had to keep God in my mind's eye, like I don't know if I was viewing the throne, but I but I did have a view. Uh, an image of heaven, um, which is very interesting because I'm a guy who is, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm not only a sentimental, but I'm a very visual person, um, uh, you know, because of my music and and I, I I guess I might fit into the category of an artist, even though I don't. <laughs> I don't uh, 
consider myself an artist, but but I think in very visual, musical kinds of ways. And, you know, I noticed an interesting thing that how important it was for me to find a place that was high, like a cliff or a mountaintop or something, because then in my mind's eye or in my in my being, I can't say my mind's eye, I felt like I was closer to God, right? Mm. So walking along a beach, I'm getting close to God. Uh, walking along a quiet pathway, I'm close to God. Imaging a beautiful place, whatever that is, now I'm close to God. Well, those were great helps, but you know where I've landed? Where? I've landed where I don't, I don't need the visual. Hmm. I, don't, I don't need to be at the beach, and I don't need to be, um, I don't need to be at my home in a sanctuary. You know, many people who see where I live, they go, man, this is like a sanctuary. It is, but now I don't need it. So it's like, at, but in the beginning, I felt like I needed it in order to shut out the world and get close to God. But now I don't think I, I, I need it. And uh, I don't need music for me to get close to God. I don't need, I don't need emotion in order for me to get close to God. Um, I don't know exactly how I got there, but I do know the critical thing was getting uh, beyond me. In other words, sharpening, rather than just me being with me, getting beyond that barrier and going even deeper in, and now it's just God and me. And I do have on my little phone, I have little messages where, you know, I write myself lots of instruction. In fact, if you were to look at my home, I have papers on the wall to remind <laughs> myself of truths that I've discovered on my path. And I use those things. And then when I feel like they've been ingrained, I take them off and I'm always putting on new things. But in my phone, I have written down uh, this, I, this idea of uh, going on a walk with God. And what we're going to talk about and what I'm going to be listening to him for. In other words, I, I prepare my time so that when I spend time with him, I'm not dominating the conversation. So okay. it seems like that. And I do this every day. I do this every day. And it's several times during the day. Um, in the morning... Um, sometimes even at work, I'll, I'll take a break and do this, but usually when I get home, I'm doing this. And then before I go to bed, I'm, I'm doing this so that a good part of my life is, is uh, stillness before the Lord. Hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Well, I like that you, two things that you said about it is one, you, you have set times. So you've created islands. You've created yeah. islands in the or That's a good created, picture of it. Uh, and the, you placed islands in the stream of your schedule. Yeah. And uh, for me, personally, what helps in that is I alarm my phone to different times of the day. Right. And even if I have a meeting or something that I know that is going to happen, I'm, I've done it so long now that I, I know those set times and I can go, oh, I've got this meeting at this time. I'm going to set my alarm today for you know time before that so i could i can make that um so that's very important i think that people 
it's an intentionality. And I think that that's one of the things you said, making space for mm-hmm. your, uh, for that, it takes intentionality. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that you said was that it was, it was a journey and, you know, you said your own unique journey, but, but it is a journey and a journey is, you know, is about steps. And in the beginning, you needed these things. You needed these visuals. You, you to get to a place where you were, you you were. It was no longer Chris hanging out with his thoughts, thinking he was praying, but really crowding God out with his thoughts. You needed visuals. You needed to think of beautiful places, and and it helped you then. And then those things came to a point where you got in such a pattern and a habit that you didn't need them anymore. And that's okay. Yeah. But there yeah. were steps there that helped you. And uh, what, so on that note, you know, for me, I've also, well, wait, but before you go there, I want to ask you a question. Sure. Um, so given your path, your, your spiritual journey, um, which came out of brokenness and out of great need and deeply aware of inner turmoil, it would seem to me that you have a tremendous amount of uh, self-talk I going do. on in your, in your life. Okay. I do. So before you get to the habits that you have. Um, maybe talk about the initial awareness um, that came about where you realized uh, my life is, I, I'm consumed with me. I, I don't want to call it narcissism. It's just that you have so many, uh, so much stuff going on in your life um how did you get to a place of a quiet rest or quiet listening especially in the beginning stages so that you know some of our audience listeners um perhaps can take that first baby step out of the noise of their hurt or their um you see where I'm going? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted you to finish your thought. I didn't want to. Yeah, no, no, I, it's okay. I was just, I didn't have, I, I didn't know how to finish my thought. <laughs> you, you did, you did it. So for me, this is really actually this podcast right here that we're doing is why this is so important to me because I didn't do this on my own. I had people teach me. And not just teach me about God that had been happening for years, but taught me these practices so that I could be aware of my self-talk. I, I went to a spiritual direction school where can, can the I do whole... this? Can I do this? Um, before you there, um, I, when you talk about uh, being taught about God, is is that a, is that different in other words a lot of people go to church and we learn about god um from the bible 
we learn the doctrines. Um, we learn righteousness. We learn, you know, faithfulness. We learn all these things. But, but that kind of knowledge of God does not necessarily easily translate to the internal need that you had. Is that right? In other words, you needed teachers to actually address the stuff going on inside of your heart. In other words, your your brain is accessing God and you understand your need for God, but but there's something more that's needed than just um in, uh knowing the information of the Bible, right? Yes. There's a there's what I've learned in my journey. There's quite a difference between learning about God and knowing God, or knowing That's about amazing. God, knowing about God and knowing God. And what I'm talking about here is important to know about God. It's important to know about it His is. attributes. It's important to know about who He is. But then that's like the difference between sometimes this is expressed in these terms: head knowledge is knowing about God, heart knowledge is having it, knowing Him intimately uh, in an experiential way. And so it was. It's important for people to know about God. There's no doubt about it. The the knowing God part has I, I've taken steps on my own for years in doing the things like you talked about, Chris, of making and I've talked about this on an earlier podcast, making putting these patterns into place where I'm making space. And God continues to lead me to make more space, not only daily, but weekly, monthly, expend, extended day, you know, in, in prayer all day long. Uh, a yearly time with him for six days now in silence. And those times are very important. And those times growing into those patterns led me to a school that... Well, before you... How did you... But you... Um, can I go back, please? How <laughs> I don't did you know. Get, I don't know if I'm going to get where I'm going. You might, you might not. Because <laughs> I just know this is so critical. I can't... In my in my estimation, being a pastor and being with as many people as I've had, uh, and even currently the seniors that I work with, the struggle from getting to no, from a, a an a information based understanding of God, that kind of relationship to a knowing. I want you to just say, do you recall the first step? that got you on that path what 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 was the first thing that was you mentioned teachers or something like that but then we yeah, didn't well, I was I was going I was just about to go there um the these patterns that I that God early on in my ministry life this is where it all started early on in my ministry life I went through the first years um in the church I thought when I was walking into my first church experience uh, as being part of the pastoral staff, I thought this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. We're all going to hold hands, you know, walking down the hallway singing Kumbaya, and it's going to be an incredible experience, you know. And what the reality was, was it was me walking into a uh, staff of as a broken human being, as we talked about, uh, walking in there with other broken human beings all on our journey to be- 
trusting and believing in our identity as God's beloved children and rubbing our brokenness off on each other and cutting mm. each other. And it was terrible. Mm. In many mm. ways, it was a shocking experience for me to go, whoa, this is not what I expected. This is just like being in the corporate world in a lot of ways. And it, and it stunned me. And I heard God in my where I was at the time in my prayer life, in that hurtful situation, as I was praying one day, I just heard God say to me, Kurt, you have a choice to make. Are you going to look to people for your value and identity? So there's a, you know, there's a motive behind my patterns. Are you going to look to people for your value and identity? Or are you going to look to me? And in that moment, I said, God, I'm going to look to you. And I purposely go, said, okay, how do I do that? That God, you know, instigated that. So how, how do I set a new pattern so that I'm making sure I'm sticking to that motive Excellent. of putting God first? And mm. so I decided mm -hmm. Daniel was a great place to start. Here's a man who, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, he worked and served in the king of, of Babylon in his court. And he lit, so which was arguably the most corrupt go government on the planet. <laughs> in fact, even yeah. in Revelation, it talks about Babylon still, even though it's been gone for, you know, thousands yeah. and thousands of years. And so how did Daniel stay with such integrity, stay so close to God? He prayed three times a day. That's what I saw. He stopped and he intentionally okay. prayed three times a day. So I decided that's what I was going to do. And that Excellent. setting that that pattern then led to a pattern of taking a prayer day every three months, which led to later on God saying, I want you to increase that to once a month. And then that led to God, you know, in those times of being still before God of, and what, you know, and of, of listening to him. And those three times a day were just 10 minutes. I would just stop 10 minutes, three times a day to just be still before God. And cool. that progressed to, to this to a point where I was now six days of a silent retreat and and that led that led to God saying okay you're ready for another step I'm going to bring you people around you that are going to now instruct you in into uh, a greater knowledge of intimate knowledge of me heart knowledge of me through spiritual uh, spiritual direction school so I went it was brought to my attention and a very, and a lot of these things like you, Chris came out of really hard times. They came through my brokenness. And I think mm -hmm. here's where the, our patterns of behavior, the motive and the attitude, we talked about postures a couple of weeks ago or the attitude, yeah. how they're so, why they're so important. Because when we go through tough times, we have a choice in our attitude and our posture. We can blame God for them even though we live in a broken world, that's mm -hmm. not God's fault. Humans broke the world and mm -hmm. God is restoring the world. Right. We can blame God for, we could be like that little kid who breaks his toys and blames his parents, or we could be, you know, that's a choice we can make in those moments where we're broken and hurting and that life is falling apart. Or we can choose to go, God, I need you more than ever to walk me through this. And that's the, poor in spirit attitude again that leads us to new patterns and so god led me 
to a new pattern. He led me to a school. I was in that place of brokenness again, and I was desperate for God to reveal himself. And he, he led me to the school, and I went there for two years, and I was taught by other people how to mm. walk in mm. pattern, walk in new patterns of intentionally allowing God in. And one of the things was this idea that you're talking about of listening, listening prayers, and how to listen, how to use the Bible to listen to God as listening prayers and not just as a Bible study to get mm-hmm. information out of head knowledge, but actually use it as a tool for God to converse and speak straight to where I was at that present time. They taught me things like that. So I call that, so there's different modes of listening prayer. I can listen, I can, there's a, a way to listen that I've learned anyway, one way at least I've learned to listen to God through the scriptures. To, to tune in to listen to his voice through the scriptures, uh, scriptural listening prayer. There's music listening prayer where you can use a song and go, God, speak to me and listen to the lyrics of the song and listen mm-hmm. for what God is saying to you. There's mm-hmm. visual listening prayer where you can take a picture like you did in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you can take an actual physical picture and look at it and meditate on that and ask God to speak to you. Right. And there's ways of leading other people. Like spiritual direction is a way of leading another person or walking with them to ask them questions to help them notice God's voice in their life. Mm-hmm. And what, so back to the original intent was just to talk about for a minute when you talked about listening in prayer and you talked about those visuals in your mind that helped. One of the things that they taught me in the school was about my breathing, mm. that how my breathing you know, like the self-talk in my head, it, when my mind, so the idea is mind, body, and spirit are linked. Mm-hmm. And they affect each other. So the, so what, you're, what happens in your mind affects your body. What happens in your spirit, or I call your will, what you willfully, you know, do affects your mind and your body. And so if your mind is racing and you're, you can't, you're realizing I'm, I'm not, my mind is not still like my mind is always racing a lot. How do you still that? Mm-hmm. Well, if the, if your body and your mind are linked, slow down your body. So how do you slow down your body? Start with your breathing. Notice your breath. Are you breathing in and out really fast? Slow that down. Focus only on your breathing and use it as, and let your breathing become an invitation as you breathe in for the Holy Spirit to take control. And you're breathing out of any anxiety and worry as you letting go. And you don't even need to use words. You just, that's what you know that you're doing as you breathe in and out. And then as you slow down, your, your body, your mind begins to slow down. And and you open yourself up to listen. So that's a practice for that. Mm-hmm. That helps me awesome. notice, notice, like, I pay attention to my body. If, I, if I'm not paying attention that my, my mind is crowding God out because I'm just going, I'm going like a prayer walk and I can walk along and I can be so busy thinking all my thoughts and right. worries and fears that I've crowded God out. Yes. Well, what helps me is noticing my body. Am I tense? Is my breathing fast? Relax. And then as yeah. I relax, I go, oh, my mind is going nuts. 
So those things help me listen to God. That's uh, very interesting. That's very interesting. And uh, let me just interject. It's interesting because I have I have found that I have to do the same things. And isn't it strange that the older we are as believers, <laughs> the more that uh, we have to, because we desire to get closer to uh, Father, that um, we are, when we're younger, we're, we're unaware of just how these interactions happen. But um, I know for me is, is uh, I'm aware that when I am fatigued, mm. um, that affects, that affects my anxiety, uh, stress levels. And when I'm that way, I'm not thinking correctly. I, when, I, when I move into anxiety, I'm not thinking correctly about God. I'm not thinking correctly about my life. And so one of the things I know I need to do is, is uh, rest. So I make sure that I'm actually taking a nap when I need to. Uh, but the other thing that I notice affects stress and anxiety is the sugar level in my body. Mm. Okay, which is one of the reasons I've eliminated sugar. Annie, Annie. <laughs> and and my sugar elimination has nothing to do with weight loss. It has nothing to do with that. And in fact, it really didn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, a doctor five years ago telling me I'm hypoglycemic or determining that I'm insulin resistant. It wasn't even about health concern. This was about spiritual concern because I recognize that, boy, if I do sugar, um, the ang- in it, within a half hour, I, my, my anxiety level elevates. Mm. And then I, get, then I get down a wrong track uh, that can ultimately lead to a sin behavior or a sin thought or a, a an obsession even. And, uh, and so, you know, through my wilderness, uh, it was fairly emotionally traumatic for me. And, uh, and I had a couple of, uh, professional counselors determine that I had this PTSD and, and we've talked about that a little bit, but how I am addressing that is a body, a body, bind and spirit. No, a body, mind, and spirit <laughs> approach. <laughs> and so I just saw the parallels with what you were saying, Kurt, that yeah. um, there is a link to what our, our mortal body is doing along with our eternal spirit. And, yes. uh, and, and in this place, they are linked and they do affect each other. Yeah. I heard, I heard a, um, a guy who pastored the, one of the, early churches I was a part of that really helped me. He was very practical in many ways. And he said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. And that doesn't mean, you know, that's an excuse to sleep in and forget about prayer, but it is a, a it is the talking about the importance of that link between mind, body, and spirit. And in fact, we can bring in, you know, in recovering things like that, they talk about halt, right? Yes. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm-hmm. Right when you are any of those things, that affects your patterns of behavior. Yes. Right, that affects, which affects your communicating with God and your and your dependence on God. Yes. So even even you know like it's even your your uh, body where your body is at in the day, 
right? Affects it. And that, and this is why there are people who are night owls who, you know, this is why comparison, comparing yourself to other people's journey is so, is so deadly because my wife would never be caught dead waking up when I do. She considers when I go out prayer walking early in the morning, it's dark. And she considers that the middle of the night. Now, somebody else may see me and see where my where I'm at with my relationship with God and go, that's what I have to do to get there. I got to get up really early in the morning and go prayer walk. My my wife is a night owl. That will mm-hmm. never work for that her. That won't work. Right. 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 She, but she comes alive at night when I'm falling asleep. I'm like hungry, angry. Lonely, mm-hmm. tired. You know, I'm tired <laughs> at night. And, I, yeah. and my relation to us, as to anyone in my family, if I don't go to bed at a certain time, I start getting cranky. I'm not in a place to pray, but my wife is awake and alive now and and ready to pray. You know, ready mm-hmm. to, you know, mm-hmm. for, that's the time for her. So it's, it's, a dialogue, very, yeah. it's very important for us to know ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, which leads right into. What what I want we have some time left. I want to talk about the Enneagram because this is a tool, a personality profile. It's E N N E A G R A M Enneagram. It's not pentagram. It's not uh, I don't know. It's not anything else. It's, it's not an Annie Keith Graham. It's an Enneagram. <laughs> right. It's it, the Enneagram is actually the roots of it go back actually, Chris from what I've tracked and, and read back to the third or fourth century. Really? Okay. Yes. And, you have uh, more than me. That's good. And now it, now the personality side of it grew around, uh, grew into being around the sixties or seventies. Right. Um, began to see that the Enneagram could be used also had other uses for the, the desert, the desert fathers the, who started the, the monastic movement are the ones who are credited to uh, a lot with the idea of the Enneagram, moving it forward back in the third, fourth century. And then the Sufi, I believe Muslims took it and learned it from them. And now this is why it's in so many different cultures. Wasn't there even some Greek, uh, the Greeks had some ideas about yes. uh, the life force of, of individuals and, and there were like four. Weren't, weren't there four different? Anyway, there was, go ahead. Actually, there was actually eight or nine, depending. Uh, oh, okay. The points were there. The so anyway, so let's. Yeah, it it, it, it did start with Greek philosophy from from all um, from all points of reference that I've discovered. But anyway, there basically what the enneagram is it's nine numbers, and each number basically is a personality profile, a certain, a certain personality type. And now where I have friends that resist being pigeonholed in a number and I get that. And I can think of one friend in particular um, and I get that. And so I want to say like you said it earlier, we are all unique. We're all created by God to be uniquely on our own journey and our own personalities are different from one another. So how does that work with the Enneagram being nine numbers is that, you know, Chris, when you've gone into a paint store and you look for a color red and say Home Depot, what do you discover when you're looking for the color red? There's like 20 of them. 
Well, that, that you must be in a really small store. <laughs> because, when, like, I go in, there's, like, hundreds of shades of red, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and and that is true. There's only so many colors, really, right? But there are so many shades and variations of those colors that end up to become actually different colors. And that's true of the Enneagram. There's nine numbers, but there are all kinds of things that we won't get into tonight, like wings, that it can be a nine, like a, a number one with like a two wing or a nine wing. So there's all these different flavors to it. But the basic idea of the Enneagram and the reason why it's so important, I think, to know your number, and you and I'm going to tell people how they can look into this because you, you were wise in mentioning that earlier. But um, uh, Enneagram, you can go to the Enneagram. It's the website is EnneagramInstitute.com, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M Institute.com, and there's a test you can take. And below the test is a, is a link to all nine personality types. Why is this important to know your, your Enneagram number? It's back to what we talked about in the beginning. Our patterns of behavior, underneath those are motives. And underneath those motives are view of our identity and, and why we do the things we do lean, uh, helps us understand where we're coming from in our identity. Are we, are we seeing ourselves from a false identity, which leads to motives, which leads to patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. And what the Enneagram does is unlike other personality types, I could tell you my Myers-Briggs. I could tell you that, sure. but the Myers-Briggs stops at what I do. It, it doesn't define, it doesn't define for me why I why? do right. what I do. And this is what the Enneagram was always meant to. Go back to what you said earlier, Chris. You know, uh, would you mind quoting what you said about Paul? I do not do that whole thing. It's yeah. in Romans, the, right? Yeah, it's Romans chapter 7. The things I, I do, I don't want to do, and the things I um, don't want to do, I do. Who can rescue me from this? Uh, or he acknowledges there's a, there's a war, a conflict in me who can rescue me from this yes and and only jesus can right he says only jesus can but uh it's christ jesus who does that but here's the thing to get to the point of acknowledging my our need what we've talked about being poor in spirit we have to get to a point where we recognize our our sin patterns Mm -hmm. and repent And this is what the Enneagram is so brilliant in helping us do. It helps us when you, when you have a certain number, like I'm a seven, and a seven is called um, the uh, – I'm trying to remember what my number – oh, the enthusiast. Now, you can't hear it at all in my voice that I'm passionate about anything, right? Um, the enthusiast is passionate. Um, the enthusiast is the guy or girl – or man or woman, who will be the life of the party. They will be the one who gets everybody, you know, excited and, and going and having a great time, right? Robin Williams was most likely a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what a seven does. But why does a seven, 
so the life of the party they live off of experiences they they have they want to have great experiences all the time underneath the seven there's a motive and it's a motive of fear a motive of a fear of facing pain especially internally anything that's uncomfortable or painful a seven is afraid of that mm-hmm. and so they 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 purposely, their patterns of behavior without even realizing it are always on to the next fun thing. Even when they're in the middle of, like me, in the middle of something fun, I'm thinking of what comes next. I'm planning in my head my next things, and it's all a running from facing pain. But as you and I said tonight, some of our most pivotal points and growth in our relationship with God and, I, and, and coming to a place where we really know God, not know about him, but know him, came through pain. Yep. Yep. And so a, do you see the problem with the seven's pattern of behavior of running, of doing these things and the motive behind that is having all the fun and looking for fun so that they can escape the pain? Yes and not face it. And so this is why for me in this journey of understanding my seven is, um, is to repent of my running from my pain and face it with God. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I've, in the last six months at that, that growth level for me has been other in my relationship with God and him, I didn't, and him, him, me in my quiet times, Inviting him before I even listen. One of the things now I've practiced, because I'm a seven, this is the intentionality of repentance in my sevenness, is that I invite God into the valleys of the shadow of death in me. Mm-hmm. I invite him to reveal them to me. I invite him, like David, I can imagine David as a seven. Maybe that's because I am one, but his passion and his inspiration of people. And yet he's the guy that wrote Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Mm -hmm. For your rod and your staff, they comfort and protect me. Right? Um, So that, this is why I think the Enneagram is so important. And to give us one more um, number, to give us another perspective on another number, Annie mentioned earlier, she's a one. So, Annie, would you mind talking about the one, what the one does and why the one does it? Um, the one is the reformer, but it's also known as the perfectionist. And I'm reading it off of their website right now because I always forget <laughs> a lot of this stuff even after I read it and hear it. That, um, that, that website, what is the website you're on just to give people – the Enneagram Institute.com, and I did put it in the show notes as well as book suggestions on um, the Enneagram. Like right now, I'm actually currently listening to The Road Back to You. As That's a, a great um, book. Yeah. So, listening, because <laughs> I don't have time to actually do the physical reading part of it. Let's just be honest. <laughs> but a part of the perfectionist is always having to do things right and it is part of the anger triad and so you are being ruled from your head right i think that's what it is guts 
gut. The gut. So, that was close. I'm the head. That's why I have self-talk all the time. But the other thing that I did want to add to it is a lot, or the Enneagram and your personality type comes from when you're a child. So you Mm -hmm. have learned behaviors when you're a child, which also loops back to what Chris was talking about earlier, as well as you, Kurt, of what happened in your childhood that then makes you who you are today. And so that it's knowing how to deal with what your personality type is when you're at your best and your worst and dealing with that. So it's not just also pigeonholing you into something either. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point to make because that um, Richard Rohr, who is one of the guys who really unleashed the Enneagram on the world back in the eighties, made it popular. He talks about, the idea of a lot of personalities are static, right? Personality types, profiles, leave you with that. You you are a Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP, and that's it. That's where you stay. But the Enneagram is very different from that because the whole point of the Enneagram is this is your starting point. This is why what you do and why you do it now. But the point of recognizing that isn't just to have something to talk about at parties. Oh, you're an eight. I'm a nine. It's to actually help you understand and repent of those things and draw you closer to God for transformation back to no longer conforming to the patterns of these worlds, but being of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is about not staying in that in that personality, it's growing to know that you are a child of God in every way. So, Andy, um, we we don't have much time left. Would you mind? So, what is the strength of a one? What is the weakness of a one? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I don't have it pulled up. I always forget. <laughs> Darn it! Don't you know these things of me, Kurt? I I, I do, because my daughter, my <laughs> oldest daughter, is the one. So I do know that I do know these patterns. Um, yeah, I got nothing. I'm, I'm trying to search. Well, okay. I, I know I'm a perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> so, like, you do every. So, there's a strength, right? You do everything yeah. really well. That's why you're our producer. <laughs> you do everything really, really well. Except for remembering things like what my number <laughs> means. <laughs> However. What is the reason why one strives for perfection? I believe it is because they don't want to feel as if everything's, well, they want, they feel like everything's on them and everything has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then they are not a good person. That's a three. (laughs) I I believe Uh, the one. Actually, you know what? How about this? Uh, since we're really running low on time, I'll just list the nine, and then um, we probably need to wrap up the show, and we can talk about this on another show. Oh, Chris. So Are here's number nine? one. Number one is the reformer, and the description is the rational, idealistic type, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionist. The helper is number two. 
the caring interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. Number three is the achiever, the success-oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, and image-conscious. Number four is the individualist, the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Number five is the investigator, the intense, cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Six is the loyalist, the committed, security-oriented type, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. That's my wife right there. (laughs) Seven is the enthusiast, the busy, fun-loving type, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, scattered, and interrupts people. And then number eight is the challenger, the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. And nine is the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. And, and again, here's what's so important. When you read those personality types, there's two things I want to say. First, yes, I would say don't take the test at first on the website. Actually read each of the personality types My suggestion would be read the personality types, and you're going to be drawn to a few because of the what, what they do. There's motives in there in each one, why they do what they do, their chief desires and fears and motivations. Read those. Um, And then when, when a few hit you, maybe one or two or even three hit you, pay attention to those those motivations and let that really connect with you. Why you do what you do is the real key to the Enneagram. Second, if you're not sure as you're reading through, then take the test. It'll give you some, some numbers or maybe take, if you want to take the test to start with to get a range of numbers if you don't have time and then read those numbers and, and narrow it down to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're one to start with your one number to start with, not necessarily a one. And so this is, I think that's a great and helpful tool for our patterns of behavior. And that's all the time we have left of this show. And Chris, thank you for reading those. Thank you for all of your mm-hmm. insights tonight. Thank, thank you, Kurt, for, for your stuff. My stuff. Oh, I have lots of stuff. <laughs> I'm Definitely. Annie, thank you for being such an You're awesome, awesome Annie. producer. Yeah. Always a pleasure. And I want to thank everyone who's listening, who's been listening live tonight. Or we, will listen. We, or, it, well, I was getting there, but yes. Uh, are you sure you're not a seven person? Yeah, no. I'm wondering if I'm the inter- inter- interrupter. <laughs> but yeah, thank you to everyone who's listening tonight. But also, I mean, we couldn't do this without you. For everyone who also will listen through the, the weeks to come, even tomorrow thank you for just being a part of this with us you're the reason why we're doing this other than really god kicked our butts to do it um but you're the reason why he kicked our butts to do it so thank you we want to thank linked local network uh for for being our host in all of this and also just a reminder if you haven't found us yet on facebook Go find Life Hurts, God Heals podcast on Facebook and like us 
and uh, and Chris promises one of these days he'll put one of his blogs on there for you to read. <clears throat> and uh, yeah. if you're in local, make sure you go to Elevate Christian Church and check us out, or um, find Chris at Atascadero uh, Christian Community. All right, thank you. Have a great time. Good to talk with you all. all Have right. a great week. Be good, kids. Mm-hmm.